You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 14 of Leaf Sky. Jim Taddy with you. I want to thank Mike Ross for that fine introduction. Coming up on the broadcast today, our guest will be Barry Davis, freelance reporter in the Toronto area, and the voice of the Leafs, part two, Joe Bowen, basically taking you through his trail to enshrinement in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Always exciting to talk to Bonesy, and I think you'll enjoy the conversation we have with uh, Barry Davis today. It's more on a fan level um, and sort of a perspective that way. He's a lifelong Toronto resident, and so uh, he is, he's got Maple Leaf Blue in his blood. Uh, coming up later on, the Yes Guy, No Guy Awards. And uh, before we get to our guests, we should talk to you about DraftKings. You've heard us talk about DraftKings before, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how payday can come every day by entering their contest with huge cash prizes up for grabs. This week is jam-packed with action ranging from basketball to golf, and DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to have a front-row seat to all of the action. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night and is simple to do. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Each player has a salary associated with drafting them. Assemble the lineup of players while staying under the salary cap and then sit back and watch your points pile up. DraftKings has paid out over seven billion dollars to users across all sports. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there is no better place to get in on all the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app, sign up using the code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN. Get a free entry with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details so let's go over the least week well only a couple of games and they were stingy shut out at home ice three nothing by the calgary flames and then in the rematch the leafs squeaked by two one in overtime over the flames and of note in that game well there's a couple of notes in that game william nylander had both goals for the leafs he tied the game at 1832 first goal of the game happened at 1633 of the third and then well, it's not even two minutes later. It's 159 later. Nylander ties it, his sixth of the season. And then in overtime, he just bears it on goal and buries it his seventh of the season to give the Leafs the win and takes a huge boulder off his back. He had been under severe criticism for his play, but he single-handedly wins the hockey game. He and Hutch, the goalie, were the major reasons why the Leafs were able to squeak out that game. And I like that game because it showed some maturity. It was a slow, slow build, but they eventually got it done. And a win is a win. Uh, the loss on Monday night was regrettable. The Leafs shut out on home ice. It just did not look the same, especially that a 5-1-3 power play. And as I said earlier in the week, if you want to notice the difference in how the Leafs played uh, Saturday to Monday, just look at the 5-1-3 power play against the Habs and the 5-1-3 against the Flames. And it was disclosed that maybe there's a risk problem with Austin Matthews, and, and maybe that was the reason that he checked in with only two assists in two games this week. But not quite as bad. It's uh, said to be a, a, a chronic thing that he's been dealing with all season. So when he got his 18 goals, he had the wrist problem. So no worries that way. But let's not really 
look in the rearview mirror. Let's look ahead. What lies ahead is fascinating. Three games in Edmonton against Connor McDavid and the Oilers, and then two games in Vancouver against the Canucks. A nice five-game Western swing. And you want to believe that because the Leafs only scored two goals in two games this week, that the offense will show up. They were without Thornton all week, and we'll see if he plays in Edmonton or not. It's expected he would be back at some point. And, of course, Wayne Simmons remains out. Hyman had been hurt, and, and he is back in. And, of course, the goaltending situation is a bit of a question mark. Anderson did not play all week, and uh, we assume it was because of a save he made Montreal where he jammed his leg in on the post. Don't know that exactly for sure, but he did miss another game earlier on sort of a daily maintenance thing. So there's something going on there, but you hope he can be back for the three games in Edmonton and certainly uh, in in Vancouver for two. Not that he's going to play all five, but you need him back. It's hard to ride Hutch that long. And, of course, Campbell working his way back from injury as well. So that's the Leafs' plight. There's, there's plenty of things to look forward to here. I just can't wait to see Matthews and, and McDavid in a three-game set, albeit on Edmonton ice, but still a nice three-game set where they go head-to-head, certainly a headline marquee matchup that everybody will be paying attention to. Uh, Let's go to our first guest, Barry Davis, freelance reporter in Toronto. Barry, interesting uh, week for the Leafs in that they got shut out at home ice and had to squeak out an overtime win over the Calgary Flames. That's not normal for the Leafs. What did you see? Well, I saw the the rebirth of William Nylander. and, And again, Jim, you see the talent this kid has and what he's capable of doing. I know a lot of fans look and say, why does he only show up every few games or every 10 games? And Man, we've seen so many Maple Leafs from the past that have done things like that. And it's nothing new. It's just that Nylander right now is what we saw maybe from a Jonas Hoagland, although I'd say Nylander has more raw talent than Hoagland. But we've seen player after player, year after year with the Maple Leafs who has that talent but just can't do it. I I do like the fact that, uh, you know, the coaching staff is not going easy on this kid. You know, they're they're challenging him, and, and that's a good sign. And maybe he needs that kick in the butt. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and, and I think, you know, if you depending on how long you've been a Maple Leaf fan, the Maple Leaf franchise was built on people that would play uh, up and down the wings in a tough fashion, not not necessarily fighting, but but creating their own space, and, and some of the current Leafs could learn a lesson or two that way. Well, all you have to do is see a guy like Joe Thornton who just sacrifices his body every game and does what he has to do to, to grind and get in front of the net, and Man, I remember when Dave Anderchuk used to just plant his butt right in front of the net and just make things happen. When you're staying on the perimeter, I mean, you're going to have some success sometimes, but you've got to get the dirty goals too. And it was nice to see Nylander get that dirty goal to send it to overtime. Yeah, sometimes it's that. And this is the the odd thing about hockey is that, you you know, you'll analyze – you know, do a 360 on somebody's game and all of a sudden goes in off a skate, goes in off the guy's rear end or just pokes at a, a, a scramble and all of a sudden, because it's a goal, it's like golf. There's not enough room in the scorecard to describe how you drop the putt. It just went in and that's all that counts, right? Absolutely. I, I remember Mike Felino <laughs> taking one off the face and into the net. And it was, you know, his face was bleeding. He lost a couple of checklists, but you know what? He scored the goal, so he didn't care. This is a fun team to watch, though, as opposed to uh, several other incarnations of the Leafs. They are fun, aren't they? They are, and it's been a long time since I've been excited to watch the team. Just from a fan standpoint, I mean, the last time I actually covered the team, like the last game I covered uh, from a work standpoint was that Game 7 in Boston when they blew the 4-1 lead oh. in the overtime uh, in the playoffs, and that, that there went the season. And 
you know, now you've seen this team completely rejig, tear down, rebuild. I don't think I can't think of anybody that was was with those teams from, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And what you're seeing now is this young group of players that were all teammates down in the Marlies now grow together and become this great core. And, and they've added some big name free agents. And uh, I still I, I still wonder if, if Freddie Anderson can do it on a consistent basis. But then again, you're not seeing goalies playing 65, 70 games like you used to. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like it, that goes back to that theory about you know snapping a scoring streak. It doesn't matter how you do it. And when you're looking for um, signs that that this is the guy for the goalie, once he wins, he becomes the guy, and everything everything with the rest of retrospective analysis looks different because he won the cup. And all of a sudden, well, you know that was his way to winning the cup. But if he doesn't win the cup, he's, he doesn't get the same respect. It's funny, isn't it? It's it's a catch twenty two, and it, it's just so typical in sports it really is and fans get frustrated but at the end of the day uh, it, it, this leaf team jim i think has a chance to go further than and any one that we've seen in an awfully long time i think they can get into the final four and i, and I wouldn't count them out of i could see them in the stanley cup final um, mm -hmm. the question is would they win it and i'd, I'd have to reserve uh, my opinion on every, anything based on who they see in the in the uh, conference, or I don't know what they call it now. I guess we'll just call it the Stanley Cup semifinal because there are all these divisions and conferences are all messed up. So, so when they get into the final four, who they're playing there, I don't know who that is, but that's going to be a pretty darn good hockey team. It will be, and again, it you know all pending the Leafs stay healthy, all pending that you know guys don't go south at some point and go into a terrible slide. You know, if they're all going on full cylinders heading into the postseason. I'm curious to know how the schedule is going to wear on the guys by the end of the year. I mean, oh. it's a lot of games packed into a short amount of time. It reminds me of when they came back after the lockout or strike, maybe in around 94. And I remember they were playing like three games and three nights and that kind of stuff. And by the end of the season, the guys were spent. Yeah. I actually just got my uh, end of uh, season schedule. Uh, so I have all my assignments between the, the Leafs and the Raptors. And it is busy. I got to tell you, I look at for, for both teams. I look at because they're obviously different compressions on schedules. But when I look at what both teams have to go through, and of course, everybody in, in the NBA and NHL has to do this. You look at it, and you go, oh, my goodness. When, when the playoffs roll around, these guys are going to be spent. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they're going to get through this. And, and, and as you know, uh, in the NHL Stanley Cup run, those four rounds are brutal. They just take everything out of you. The one thing that I had noticed over time, and, and th this year will be a real big test to see if it still applies, is that you would see the top-level players be able to rise in the postseason, even though they're physically and mentally drained. They find this extra gear. Yeah. You know, it, it's mind over matter. And, you know, that's after a grueling 82-game season spread over six months. How are they going to – will they still be able to do that same thing in the condensed pack schedule? That's where the test is really going to come through. And this is where the, the strongest teams mentally will really have an edge. And, you know, normally you would favor veteran teams in the postseason, but those veteran teams are going to have awfully tired legs. I think the younger teams might have a little more of an advantage when it comes to the postseason this year. I, I would agree with that. Uh, the way, and, and I like that theory because that's that's my prospect theory. When somebody wins the cup, some inevitably somebody will say, well, in the They've got all these prospects, and I go, wait a minute, prospects are good as long as they're prospects. But my definition of an NHL player is somebody who can give you 82 games a year and then have four gears left for the playoffs because each round 
gets tougher. And you better have those four gears because you're going to need them. I know this is your show, but I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think we'll ever see a day where you see like a Gary Unger who plays every game? Like, will we ever see these Ironman streaks in the NHL anymore? Oh, I don't think so. I just think it's, uh, you know, that was, uh, uh, how do I how do I describe it? What we have now is a sprint. Uh, the, the schedule before used to be, a marathon in that, you know, yeah. you could have long shifts that the travel wasn't, I guess the travel was, was different in that it may not have been chartered flights and it was a little different that way. But I just think that everything is uh, high demand. Now everything's compressed in terms of you have to do this now. And I mean, let's be honest, these guys play really fast. You're down to 45 second shifts. If that, and in the, the Gary Unger years, a minute and a half, maybe even two, yeah. I mean, Phil Esposito would, could play the double shift, he left the ice when he wanted to. Yeah. And Gila Floor could have a smoke between shifts on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a different world, right? Yeah. <laughs> Craziness. Um, and let, let's go to uh, Austin Matthews because uh, the Leafs have never had an Austin Matthews. This guy's a treat to watch. And heading into the weekend, starting of three head-to-head with Connor McDavid in Edmonton. And the Leafs have never really been in this position where marquee player against marquee player. I know they've they played each other in the past, but this is like a playoff series, three games in Edmonton. And I think, you know, Austin Matthews has to at some point get looked at in the same light as some of the, you know, the top five, six, ten players in the game and I know that it takes a little time and, and you still have that core that have been around for a few years. But, man, I can't remember the last time the Leafs had a player that you could say was like top five in the NHL. Maybe Doug Gilmore was around there. But yeah. this this is definitely and, – and not only do they have that one big star, but they have so many great pieces around them. I love how they've, they've added the veterans. You've got a Tavares. You've got a Thornton. Then you've got the young guys as well. To me, this is this is just a, a really nice blend, and you got to give a lot of credit to the front office because you only hear about the front office when they mess up, right? You don't often hear yeah. Oh, yeah. them get you know congratulations for building such a great team, right? It's the players when that happens. So yeah. I, I think they deserve some credit for building what they've built. Well, Matthews leads the the league in goals, and uh, the last Leaf to win a scoring title was somewhere in the 1930s. So there's no, this, this franchise is, is not um, like some of the others. Uh, It is, uh, I'm talking about the original six. It is in the respect that they've got a lot of people that have played for the Leafs and gone on to the hockey hall of fame, but the Maple Leaf franchise was never um, star built, I I guess is the way to say it. It was always a good hard hockey team. And it was when it won the cup, it was the best hockey team, obviously, but, but not, they didn't rely on, on top end talent it was it was an ensemble cast so this is a, this is a sort of a i guess a fresh look for for leaf fans and and it does fit in with the world we're in now anyway yeah and, and it's really interesting yeah when, when you say that because i'm thinking about you know even some of the great leaf teams from from the 60s and, and you know even like mid 70s when they were going you know to the final four and you know you had a mcdonald and a sittler but you didn't have you didn't have gretzky you know you didn't have a gordy howe you didn't have the guy that you can say this is the best player in the nhl right now and you know now you can definitely start to make a case for austin matthews and i'm excited for leaf fans because this is a great this is something that well i missed it by a year i was born in 68 so i missed it by a year but think about we've got no color footage of the leafs winning a stanley cup (laughs) (laughs) i know know. that's this time in color (laughs) yeah well it's just it's 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 a long time i mean 
what is that? That's 54 years, isn't it? Yeah, 54 years. My goodness, that's that's New York Ranger-like. Yeah, it, it really is. But, you know, people don't look at the New York Rangers in the same light as they look at the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Leafs are always the kind of the laughing stock that, you know, when they'll never win again in our lifetime type of thing. And, uh, I, I man, it'd be nice to see this year. Now that I, I'm outside the, uh, you know, the mainstream media and I can actually say, yes, I'm excited because, look, we were all Leaf fans before we, we got into this industry, right? So oh, yeah. some of that's still in there. It will always be there. As I sit here with a, my Mike Palmatier jersey in my backdrop, <laughs> which <laughs> people can't see. Did, did that arm? Did the arm move in that jersey? I don't know. <laughs> it, it may have. It may have. Yeah. But, well, but it, it, it has no knees, the, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> all these things, like where the Leafs are, I, I just like for me, it's the edge of the cliff. And so once they win, as I said earlier, with with uh, Nylander and, and also with Freddie Anderson, everything will look different, and they're right there. So they, you know, I, I I firmly believe sometime in the next at the end of the next three seasons there will be a Stanley Cup for the Leafs, um, and I don't know which one it is. This might be a good year. It's hard to say. Uh, I really like what they did with their blue line. That's major surgery there, and it, and it all worked out. There's some spots up front that that uh, concern me in terms of depth uh but they can work themselves out when they're all healthy that's the problem with wayne simmons out and you need a healthy wayne simmons and a healthy joe thornton to win a stanley cup so that that's where i am on all this how about you yeah i mean if if they're going to have injuries this is a good time for it to happen if there ever is a good time right i think at the end of the day these guys come back for the the final stretch of the season uh full cylinders and this is going to bode well for them going into the postseason so I think that they've they've got they've got as good of a chance as I've ever seen uh, with the Toronto Maple Leaf team, and it's you know it's kind of interesting when you compare Maple Leaf fans to Blue Jays fans because when the Jays were successful, you know, 2015, 2016, the more they won, the more fans were waiting for the other shoe to drop. They were waiting for disaster to happen, and for years the same thing applied with Leaf fans. They couldn't take any little bit of success because they knew it was going to end and things were going to go on a terrible slide this year i'm sensing that the leaf fans are getting away from that and they're actually starting to believe that this could be the year and man if they don't (laughs) then it's going to go right back to that whole defeated feeling for for leaf fans as well but uh right now i like the fact that most fans aren't waiting for the other shoe to drop yeah i would agree with that there's optimism here and anticipated optimism might be the best way to to describe that i mean look if the cubs could win a world series i mean this this has to follow suit, right? <laughs> and even then, it was funny. I mean, I covered that series and being outside <laughs> Wrigley Field, and, and people were literally, Jimmer, they were around, surrounding the Harry Carey statue, you know, and, and literally praying and putting things on it and, and <laughs> looking up to the baseball gods and saying, make this the year that we can finally break this curse, you know? Yeah, well, no we got also, the Maple Leafs. That, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, well, everything happens eventually. That's the way I look at it. And, yeah. and eventually is here for the Leafs sometime in the next three years. Barry, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Time now for guest number two. And, of course, it's the Hockey Hall of Famer, Joe Bowen, part two. Bonesy, let's go back. Let's go all through your, your Maple Leaf run. When you look back on it, it's quite a storied career. Of course, you're in the Hockey Hall of Fame, so that tells you how good that career is. But when you look back on on the ice surface and you sort of drift back to other times, what do you think of? 
Oh, well, well, you know, Jimmy, it, it, the interesting thing is how much this game has changed, how much uh, the, the scoring has changed. Back in the 80s, the goaltending equipment was smaller. Uh, it was uh, a wide-open affair, uh, all kinds of 50-goal scorers, including a couple with the Leafs and Rick Vive and Gary Lehman. Um, but it was uh, a time in Toronto where I was just thrilled to be doing the games, but when you sat back and looked at the entire operation, you realized that there was no chance of this organization winning a Stanley Cup while it was under the guidance of Harold Ballard. So that was disappointing. Um, the 90s was a time when uh, uh, the, the team turned the corner, uh, when management uh, was all in, uh, ownership was all in, Steve Stavro was uh, part of it. The arrival of Pat Quinn made it uh, that much more enjoyable. Uh, they had some great runs there. And then, you know, the, you run into the situation where all of a sudden it all went south. And uh, it wasn't until they were able to uh, draft Austin Matthews that they were able to kind of regain that. But the one thing that I've often said to fans, I said, it's not, it's not for the lack of wanting to win and it's not for the lack of management or money. Uh, that is going to be provided. This team can't outspend teams as far as salary is concerned, but they can certainly make it a very attractive spot. And I think we're seeing that with a lot of Toronto boys wanting to come back here uh, to uh, play with the Maple Leafs, whether it's uh, mid-career or even uh, near the end of the career like Joe Spark. And that's a change. There was a time when people didn't want to come back and play for the Leafs, right? Well, Craig Simpson didn't want to be drafted by them, right? Yes. I mean, that yes. was... That was as simple as, no kidding. And, and it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, you know what, as, as unhappy I am of your stance, uh, I can certainly sympathize with you and understand. Um, so, uh, yeah, to that end, yeah, it was uh, a time when people just didn't want to have anything while the media is too tough. But, well, not so much the media is just that, you know what, I'm not so sure they want to win, and I do. You know, when you look back on it, the two Pats, Burns and Quinn, really great runs and great guys. Yeah, they sure were. Um, and and uh, approachable. Um, I mean, we traveled then with the team and, and uh, knew them a lot more as people um, and, and everything else. Uh, uh, they would uh, you know, sitting in the lobby bar just uh, having a cocktail before going to dinner and oftentimes being invited to accompany them to go to have uh, a meal and, and, and talk you know, maybe some hockey, but talk about life and talk about uh, families and talk about other things going on and, and get to know them as people it was a, um, just a, an absolute treat. And uh, they are two of my favorite people of all time. Pat Quinn uh, and Ricky Lee and Harry Neal and I had an annual golf outing when we were in Florida. And uh, those are memorable, memorable days and long nights uh, that I enjoyed with the losers having purchase uh, uh, meals after the fact, which was always a lot of fun. We enjoyed it. Thank God Ricky Lee was a good golfer. <laughs> <laughs> Those are really, uh, like, I mean, they're touchy-feely times that you don't really get anymore. Well, of course you don't get them in a pandemic. <laughs> no, and and you know what? Uh, uh, the fact that we're not on the charter anymore, that Lou Lamorello made that happen, makes it a lot more difficult to know the people that you're, you're talking about. And uh, we're, we're, we're sort of in the same situation as everybody now, especially with the pandemic, that 
all you're hearing are the sound bites and everything else. You're not getting a chance to talk to them, to you know, understand them, and to uh, and and to share things with them, and and they share with you uh, nothing to do with uh, trying to find a scoop or anything of that nature, or or to try to uh, you know start a controversy, just to know them as people, and uh, that's that's a difficult thing, and and. We've gotten more and more in the NHL away from what it was to mirror almost what the other major sports are. I remember back in, in the, the 80s and 90s, uh, uh, Bob Birdie, who was a, a marvelous reporter for the, uh, uh, in Chicago, uh, he would come up to us and he would say, after the, the uh, football season and baseball season, was there, thank God that's over with and we can talk to the hockey players. Um, because they found that they were more open and they were better interviews and they were um, excited to have you take interest in them. And um, that uh, some of that has gone. It, it's been pushed back into the into the back room a little bit, and it's now more and more just the uh, the scrum and the and the soundbite rather than uh, getting to know these individuals as people. Well, I, I used to always I, I would describe it this way, Bonesy. A hockey player would stop the ambulance to do the interview. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, right. Yeah. Fall out of it. That's right. <laughs> Mike Medano. But they would they, yeah. they would stop whatever treatment there was to do the yeah. interview. Yeah, that's right. And 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 a lot of them would do that. And and uh, and you learned about personalities. And there are some great characters, great personalities. And I don't know if we are able to share with uh, everybody that as much as we used to. I'm going to ask you a comparison question. You're talking about uh, different teams and, and how the game has changed, but here's one thing I don't think has ever changed. Would you not describe the Stanley Cup winner today the same same way you would have been describing the Stanley Cup winner maybe 30, 35 years ago? You mean as far as what the makeup of the team is, Jimmy? Or yeah, yeah. How they how they, how they played to win the cup? You, you, there's only one way to play to win the cup: no, tough, no, strong no, defensively. No, no. I, I, and here's here's the best part about something like that. You, they now have that nice team photo on the ice where everybody's got their big grin on and maybe a, a hat uh, to signal the Stanley Cup champion, and they got the cup right in the middle. And what you need to do is when you get it on your computer. And with the technology we have now, you can zoom in each of the faces. And each of the faces looks like it's gone through a meat grinder. And <laughs> there are there are cuts, there are stitch marks, there are stitches, there are bruises, uh, 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 a burned smile with no teeth. There's there's they've paid the price. And there's an, an enormous price to pay to win the Stanley Cup. In the 60s and in the, the six-team league, that price was just too serious. And it was yeah. hard enough. It was hard enough. But now four series, it's the hardest trophy in the world to win by because of the physical taxing it's going to take on you, your body, your teammates, uh, how you have to suck it up in order to participate um, and, and how happy you're going to feel while you have the cup. And the next day when the adrenaline stops, you're in traction. 
because of the <laughs> No, actually, that'd be after the parade and after the sobriety <laughs> test. <laughs> it, it is it is a monumental climb to win that cup. There's no question about it. And it follows a short summer, and, and then everybody has you in their sights the next year. That's right. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a difficult trophy to win back-to-back. Uh, in, in days of yore, uh, dynasties were able to do that. Uh, the Oilers, the Islanders, uh, Montreal... Maple Leafs in the 60s, uh, if you put together a great team, you, you could do that. But uh, because of the salary cap now and the draft and obviously the number of teams, um, it is a huge, huge assignment to try to win back-to-back cups. And uh, try, try winning three or four is, I think, completely out of the question. I don't know as we'll, we'll see that again unless it's uh, uh, some of the rules are changed somehow. Well, the salary cap almost uh, guarantees you won't see it, right? Well, yeah, and yet, you know what? I, you wonder if there will be more and more of the kind of thing that goes on in the NBA. Hey, Connor McDavid, why don't you come to Toronto? I'll take a little bit less for me. I'm talking like Boston Matthews here. We'll yeah. get you here. We'll do this. I wouldn't be surprised some of that starts because um, the the hatred and, and keeping away from everyone that used to be in the six-team league uh, is not there. I mean, we, we had McDavid and, and uh, Matthews training together this summer. Uh, a lot, All of these guys have played with one another. They've played on national teams. They've played on World Cup teams. They've played on uh, uh, all kinds of Olympic teams and have developed friendships with people on other teams other than just the ones that you have and maybe the guy that's been traded away from your team. So I don't know if that can be done. Um, and, and I'm not sure that uh, contracts could be reworked to allow that to happen. Uh, but it is interesting how uh, basketball, of course, you only need two or three guys in basketball to, to really change everything. But uh, that, that's going to be an interesting situation to see how that transpires. But at this particular point, under these current rules, I don't think you can see that happen. Bonesy, let's go way back to the start. At what age did you want to be a play-by-play guy, and who influenced you? Uh, the day after the uh, uh, reporter who uh, had a snoop full of alcohol in him uh, tore me apart in the newspaper for my goaltending for the Sudbury High School Wolves. I think I started thinking maybe I better find another another avenue. I was I was uh, fast tracking to be John Bauer's replacement, um, but uh, very shortly thereafter, uh, I decided that I wanted to stay in the sport. I loved it, um, and uh, I actually had a Foster Hewitt had a uh, uh, a broadcasting school. And uh, this gentleman from Toronto came to my house and uh, had me read and do a bunch of stuff. And and uh, he said, oh, I think you're, you know, he's given me the big come on about all of this. And uh, my mother kind of was, uh, my my dad had passed away just before I went into high school. So my mother was, well, I don't know and what this and how much it was going to cost. What was going I never did meet anybody who had graduated from the Foster Hewitt uh, Broadcasting School. So I don't know if anybody is out there doing that. But I decided I was going to go to university because that's what my dad wanted. He wanted me to get a university degree. 
Um, and Ryerson was a college, and no, that wasn't good enough. So I had to go to university. And Windsor had a, a communication arts program, which I really enjoyed and, and got involved with, and got involved with the student radio station. And that's when I fell in love with uh, broadcasting. We we did a lot of basketball because uh, Dr. Paul Thomas's teams went to the uh, national finals in three of the four years that I was at Windsor, and uh, I did all of those games. So that was the start. And uh, when I uh, graduated, I got uh, my biggest break was that uh, uh, my dad's uh, childhood friend, Bill Font, owned a TV and radio station in Sudbury, and he was also part owner of the Sudbury Wolves. And uh, I got a job immediately working at the station. And about six months later, the fellow who was doing the play-by-play -play for the Wolves left who did a job with CBC. And uh, I walked down the hall and said, Mr. Plant, I'd like to um, uh, audition for this. And he says, no, I've heard you. You can do this. And uh, off I went. Wow. So if, you're, if, if there was a young broadcaster listening to this, what advice would you give them? Be yourself. Don't be afraid of the microphone. Um, uh, personality is as much a uh, part of this, I think, as anything. Uh, you're not going to do 82 Rembrandts uh, a year under normal circumstances. There's a couple of Picassos in there that you're going to, if you're going to have anybody listen to you, you better at least have some fun. And I think I've been blessed with having uh, great guys as uh, color commentators and, and a young woman. And Cheryl Ponder did a, a game with me the first time I've ever had uh, a young woman do the game with me. So I've been blessed with that and that they have great senses of humor and great uh, knowledge of the sport and we could have fun, fun at each other's expense and fun just uh, broadcasting the games. Um, I think that the other thing that I would suggest to them is obviously be well prepared. Uh, and the other thing is that it's not World War III. Uh, game seven may be World War III and yeah. you have to be treated that way. But the rest of it uh, is, uh, and I think Bob Cole in his book suggesting that you've got to ebb and flow with the way things go and not just start at one area and go to a fever pitch and then never get back uh, to get the game back under control. So those are the things that I, I talk to uh, young people about. And uh, um, and, and if they uh, have a talent, uh, and, and you know, one of the things, Jimmy, that Ed, with my son David playing up in Sudbury, um, uh, with the Wolves at times, and then with the Rayside Canadians. Uh, all of the technology that we have now, um, you can I can watch all of his games, Blind River, Sault Ste. Marie, Noranda, uh, Timmins, Kirkland Lake, and there are all kinds of young people doing the games. And I watch, and there are some talented, talented people out there. Um, and, you know, the, to at the, I got the big break by literally a friend of mine coming from Halifax to Toronto and told me to send my uh, audition tape in when uh, Ron Hewitt left. So uh, it, it's a tough thing to get into, but sometimes you just have to enjoy the smaller ocean um, and be a bigger fish in that smaller ocean because there are a lot of talented, talented people out there doing play-by-play, -play, that's for sure. That's the one difference between our time and, and the time that is that we're in right now is when we were growing up, it was the select few. Now it's everybody, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And 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 it's a fun job to do. It's it's uh, obviously I thank my lucky stars that I've been able to do it for as long as I have uh, and enjoy it. And and you cannot take it for granted. Uh, and I don't. Um, and that's uh, 
And that's the thing. I, I, I will tell you this story, and I think I've told you this before. Of course, you were out in Halifax with us, and you had uh, left for the, uh, the big bucks and the cleaner pastures. But uh, <laughs> so uh, Alan Davis, who was a dear friend of mine in, in Halifax working at the radio station, he left Halifax to uh, chase a young lady's skirt who he ended up marrying and is still married to her. And he was working at CKFH, which was Foster Hewitt's old station, when, when Ron Hewitt left. And there was part of the Telemedia radio network. Len Bramson was the president of Telemedia and had just hired Gary Howarth to join uh, Tom Cheek being part of the Blue Jay broadcast. I had, uh, when I'd learned about Ron Hewitt's leaving was in April, and I had sent my audition tape in uh, to the Telemedia and um, then had not heard anything all summer. And the, there were snippets of news that looked like a guy from out west was going to get the job and all this. So. I said, well, all right, that's it. I, I'd sent out tapes before and, and gotten the thank you very much. We'll keep them on file. And I had decided, all right, well, and I loved Halifax. I really did. And I enjoyed doing the Voyager game. So uh, we bought a house at 22 points on the dollar. <laughs> that was the interest rate. <laughs> yes. Remember those days? Yes, yes. <laughs> so on Wednesday, of the week in September, I got the phone call from the bank and they told me that I had gotten uh, gotten the uh, the uh, mortgage. It was okay to buy the house. Thursday, I finished doing the morning run on radio. I get home about 10 o'clock and the phone rings and it's, uh, hi, uh, Joe, uh, yes, uh, this is uh, Lynn Bramson, president of Telemedia Sports in Toronto. I'd like you to fly in uh, this weekend. We've been listening to your audition tape. I'd like you to fly in and do the exhibition game the Leafs and the Oilers as an audition for the Leaf job. <laughs> and I said, Alan, I don't need this blankety blank. You are just a blankety blank. And I went on and the F-bombs are dropped and everything. I just bought a house here in Halifax. I don't need you messing around with me. <laughs> and there's quiet at the other end. And he said, uh, no, this isn't Alan Davis. This is Len Branson. And we have listened to your tape, and we would like you to come down here. So now I'm in the midst of trying to find a knife to slip my wrists because of what I have just said to this man prior to. And he said, we talked for a little bit, and he said, I'm going to call you back in about 20 minutes with information on the flight and everything else. So I hung the phone up, and I just, you idiot, you idiot, you've just blown the biggest opportunity you've ever had. And instead of 20 minutes later, 10 minutes later, he phones back. He said, so that's the most interesting opportunity I have ever afforded anyone as far as getting a job. We've listened to your tape again. We don't need the audition. Here it is. Fly in and sign the paper. So I'm living proof that you can tell your boss, go and still get the job. <laughs> now you tell me. <laughs> yeah. Now, I might not want to try it twice, Jimmy. No, no. <laughs> I'm going to end on this, Bonesy. If you could run into the 1985 version of Joe Bowen today, what would you tell him? Oh, boy. Uh, hold out for more per diem money. <laughs> <laughs> huh. well, I, I, I don't know. You know what? Uh I, I've had so much fun doing this. Um, uh, I, I've met so many wonderful people. Um, 
I don't know as I would tell him other than you're really going to enjoy uh, this run. Uh, and and don't take it for granted. Enjoy it and uh, enjoy the people that you're working with and enjoy uh, the people that you're going to meet as they are. The hockey crowd is a class, class act. Um, you know, it was funny. My son and I were sitting down uh, the other day and we were reminiscing about all of this. And, you know, who was your favorite guy in the room? Who's your favorite player? And we listed a bunch of them. And, and the list went on and on and on. And then somebody said, well, who's, who's the guy that you really did? You know, we sat and we came up with one or two names maybe. But that was it. And just the majority of the people that you've met have just been outstanding. And, uh, and, and I think that's the biggest plus about it. Well, I'll tell you, I knew that Joe Bowen in 1985. And if I ran into him again, I would say three words, Hall of Fame. <laughs> well, I thank you, Jimmy. And I remember a conversation I had with you about 1982 or three, and you phoned me and you said, you're bang on. Yes, <laughs> well, just leave it at that. <laughs> Nothing more need to be said. And we can end your show on that. <laughs> yes, yes, we can. Thank you very much, Joseph. <laughs> Last minute of play in this podcast. And there is the time warning from Mike Ross, the PA announcer at Scotiabank Arena. So we've got to squeeze this in. Yes, Guy Award goes to William Nylander, who after being severely criticized, had the only two goals in the game as the Leafs beat Calgary 2-1. to one. A big yes, Guy to William Nylander. Another yes guy to Hutchinson, the goaltender, who made 21 of 22 saves on the game Wednesday night and helped the Leafs to victory in overtime and in the losing effort on Monday night stopped 30 of 33. This is another guy who's had a checkered pass with the Leafs and their fans and it was nice to see him step up. So he gets a rather robust yes guy. Up next is the first no guy and the only no guy in this broadcast. It goes to Austin Matthews with the wrist problem. And because it hasn't really sidetracked him, we might say, oh, no guy. But then, guess what? It turns into a yes guy because Austin Matthews, it turns out, has had that wrist problem for a while. And it didn't stop him from scoring 18 goals. So it goes from, oh, no guy to yes guy and that's how we end this hope you enjoyed episode 14 hope you come back tuesday for episode 15